And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dewey, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We have a very exciting program. You're going to want to stay with us because we're going to be talking about healing. Healing ourselves whole and not H-O-L-E. There are some people who do tend to heal themselves into a hole, uh, but that's a whole other subject for another program. Our guest is going to be Emily uh, Francis, and she's going to be joining us here shortly to talk about um, an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body. Oh, my goodness, and I thought the ancient wisdom teachings were enough. We'll find out about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, it's Wednesdays at 9 a.m. right here on this fine station. Podcasts are also available at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn's Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, as well as many other locations you folks are reposting our website, our uh, podcast too. And we're on YouTube. You can watch these interviews on YouTube. The channel is Tell Me Your Story. Just look for the guy with the hat. And uh, we also encourage you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. We want you to spend time going within. We want you to listen to that still small voice, which is Basically, I think what we're going to be talking about on the program today. So please take that time, listen to that still small voice, listen to your body, and uh, enjoy the life that you have been given. Or, as some might say, the life you have given yourself. Okay? There you go. We also ask that if you can do so, and this program and these broadcasts resonate with you, these broadcast, podcast, videocasts, and you can support us financially. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Any amount is welcome. We thank those who have and those who will support our broadcast. And as I've said many times after having worked in a religious radio station for 15 years back in the 80s and early 90s, I will never, ever pull the scam that says, if you don't support us, we're going to go away. Nuh-uh. If I can't support us, uh, will go away. It's not on you. So that taking the pressure off, if you can support us financially, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you have done it, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to talk about healing, and we're going to be talking about that healing with Emily Francis. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and you're looking pretty healthy today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, and thanks for having me. Well, you uh, obviously, uh, I would think, would tie quite well into what we talk about as the decade of, of perfect vision, going within and listening to that still small voice. <clears throat> but you're taking it maybe one step further and basically saying, listen to your body. And one of the ways I have learned, uh, Emily, is to use a technique that is called kinesiology. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yes, yes. Uh, where some people, they will do the typical, this is the way I was taught, they'll take one hand and they'll put a ring, uh, you know, do this, they'll, they'll put the thumb and index finger together, then they'll loop the other index finger and thumb together uh, as a, a link, it chains, uh, links in a chain, and then they will say yes, and it will hold, and they will say no, and it will break. And then you basically ask yourself questions about your health. Maybe you're at the grocery store, should I really get this? But it will, I do that. it will get to a point where you don't need to do this or any other physical technique because you get the impression. You get that intuitive knowing, right? Right. 
And I get it, yes, right. But not if like if I'm at the grocery store, I will. I do it with my ring finger and thumb. Okay. And I'll try to separate. But I do it if it's like a vitamin supplement or something that's new. And I'll think, does my like which one should I get? Which brand or which type? Mm-hmm. I'll put it to my chest and I'll do that. That's probably the most common mm-hmm. time that I use that. Well, I know that that uh, a lot of people are trying to find answers. And what we have done over the last, I'm going to say centuries, because the medical community has been around for centuries, obviously. Uh, And especially if you look at uh, the history of orthodox medicine. And what we have done as individuals, and this is what we're taught to do, is to turn over our health and welfare to the medical community. They know best. And that isn't necessarily true. If I break a leg, I want somebody who knows how to set the bones. Okay? But in my case, and I've I've shared this many times, I was diagnosed a year ago, July 23rd of 2020, with type 2 diabetes. Okay? And uh, just for a point, points of reference, uh, they tested my blood sugar that day, 544. They checked my A1C, 11.2. I was in shock for maybe about 30 minutes and came out of it. And the doc is telling me, oh, Richard, it's going to be a long journey, long journey. Then he, of course, told me this one example of a guy in six months, brought it down to seven point whatever. And I said, no, it's not going to be a long journey because I know how I got here. And it was the pandemic. What did most of us go to, Emily, in terms of eating when the pandemic hit and everything was shut down uh, and, and uh, we wanted convenience and, and comfort? We ate comfort. food. Yeah. Sugars, <laughs> sugars and carbs. Hello. Yep. And, of course, I used to, I had a, a well, I, I guess you could say I still have a sweet tooth. And the night, the night before my diagnosis, I had drank two Cokes. Small bottles. They were small bottles, but there were two of them. All right? Not even thinking about it. Now, the symptoms that took me to the doctor were that I was drinking a lot of water and peeing a lot. And, of course, my wife says that's like the first sign. So um, by September 15th of 2020, my blood sugar was normal. Because I went back to the diet that we had before the pandemic. I, compl- I have not had a soda since the 23rd of July, 2020. Okay. I found substitutes or alternatives. The sparkling waters that are flavored with zero carbs, zero calories, and zero sugar. Because I like the fizz. I like the bubbles. <laughs> you do? I don't like the bubbles. That's funny. <laughs> oh, I love the bubbles. Uh, so I listened, so to speak, to my body I, and, and I tried to get my doctor to listen too because I said, I know why it's up so high. Okay. This is not a mystery to me, but a lot of people don't, they're unaware, correct? How do you make correct. people aware, uh, of their own health and well-being, even if they haven't had a diagnosis like I did that sort of verifies that? Well, my work is slightly different because mine's hands-on body work. So I really work more with the muscles and the the way that our emotions are tied into the muscle groups and the muscle areas. Okay. So I never, ever give advice on diet um, or, or things like that. But what I will do is... I'm, I'm a lymphatic drainage person, so I definitely understand skin texture and, and liquid and hydration and things like that. And I will 
tenderly suggests different avenues of practitioners. But um, as far as people getting in touch on a, on a health scale instead of an emotional scale, mm -hmm. I take it through the emotional play. Ah. So we go into the body and figure out what things are signaling because your body signals really early on when it's out of balance. And then our job collectively is to figure out where that place is that's off balance and what are all the effects, the ripple effect that's gone through your body now. And then where do we need to go to, to get us back into balance? So I'm only one component and mine is the helping you to figure out some certain things. I'm a great matchmaker for healing. I like it's it's really my forte is for people to tell me sort of what's going on and me kind of sit with it and like, you know what, I think a naturopath would be the ideal. I think something called NAAT is one of the greatest things. I think uh, Chinese medicine, I think too many people use it as a last resort when it really should be a first one. Uh, I've sent many of my clients over the years like, okay, if you go see this acupuncturist and he says this is okay, then I'll treat this. You know, and then, uh, you know, we kind of, but I, I don't ignore the regular doctors. They just know what they know. They mm -hmm. know their one little area, their scope. But then if that's all you go to and you trust that, you're in danger. You said it exactly at the beginning. Integrative medicine, functional medicine, a wider scope is what we all need. And a lot of times the allopathic medicine just hasn't really caught up with that. So you take the parts that you can from each of the different practitioners, and then you are your best healer. So you have to be in charge. Now, I'm a Reiki master. Me too. Okay. And I was taught that when you are giving a healing, when you are sending the energy, and I shouldn't say healing, when you are uh, administering a Reiki treatment, whether it be in person or absentee, your job is not to send that energy with any intent other than that energy is being sent for the purposes for which that individual or situation will choose to use it. So that has brought me to this question I ask of pretty much every guest I have on here when we get into health and wellness, uh, preventative care, and so forth. Uh, and it has to do primarily with uh, my father's brother, my uncle Boyd, who passed away from cancer. <clears throat> and my parents told us about, after our, my wife's and my training, my parents told us about, uh, about uncle Boyd and how he was, you know, and I don't know, it was stage three or stage four cancer. And we said, well, we'd like to send him an absentee healing. So they gave us a photograph. We went home. We gave him an absentee healing. After the funeral, after his passing, my mother told us what had happened the last few days before his passing. That he got very angry, threw the medications across the room against the wall, got in his wheelchair, wheeled across the compound where he and his family lived, uh, to where his son lived, in the house that his son lived in. They had a time of father-son closure, and then shortly after that, he passed away. Well, this brings into question, what is the definition of healing? You talk about, in the title of your book, healing ourselves whole. So, based upon what you and I both know is the purpose of, the basic function in this case of Reiki, okay, uh, what is healing? Well, first of all, healing is always in action. It's an action verb. 
it's it's an it's always the work to achieve a balance in your body and in your spirit and where that occurs where that healing occurs is not up to us so it might be in this physical realm it might be in the spirit realm you know just because we are involved in healing doesn't mean we heal people i don't i never ever refer to myself as a healer under any circumstance whatsoever okay uh, when i when i practice reiki i consider myself a open channel for unconditional love and healing energy to pass through me but i am simply the hands so for me healing is so multifaceted but it's it's an unending and no limit opportunity for the greatest sense of balance and well-being and love all together in whatever way that fits for you so if an individual such as my uncle boyd who basically has, so to speak, made peace with mm -hmm. his situation. I don't want to say condition, but his situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically says, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired or I'm this or that or the other. And it's okay. Where I'm at is okay. And so whatever happens, I'm okay. That's what's meant to happen, yeah. Then... Some would then categorize that as our facilitating an individual's, and I, I, this is the only word I can think of, uh, Emily, we're facilitating their suicide. Wow, really? Well, if you think about it, uh, if my Uncle Boyd is basically tired and he doesn't want to stay here anymore and he wants to leave, of course, there's that onus, that stigma that if you take your own life, you know, in the Christian philosophy, you're going to hell. You know, right. because it's the most selfish, selfish act. And yet, um, you know, there you are. You've got people who uh, say, no, 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 no. You've got to stay alive at all costs, which is another right. another issue as far as the medical community. When to say when. So so uh, and I realize this is sort of a sidebar kind of thing, but I think it's important for us to take a look at because we need to understand and define this word healing. Of, and wholeness, that are they the same thing? Uh, and if they aren't, what's the difference? Uh, how do we make uh, make peace with those elements uh, that are that they're part of our lives, if you will? But at the same time, we, you, and I, Emily, and everyone listening, we're all immortal. Right. So to me, when you said people think you would be facilitating someone's suicide, I think of it as you giving, you helping someone have permission to heal into the next level. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're helping someone make peace with exactly where they are. And maybe you're part of helping their transition. But that transition is not up to you. So whenever I've, and I've worked on it, I, because I'm a lymphatic drainage therapist, I work with people post-cancer mm -hmm. uh, or that are terminal, one or the other. I won't actually treat with lymphatic drainage if you're going through active treatment of cancer, but I will treat you uh, energetically and um, if you are terminal or if you are in remission, one or the other, mm -hmm. not during. Um, <clears throat> and I've worked with a lot of people that have said a lot of those words of, I'm ready to go. If you say that, my release is off. Mm -hmm. I have zero judgment. I'm just going to help you make peace with yourself. Mm -hmm. But I have no part 
So I, I think that's where some of the dangerous stuff is that people stand there with their hands and their intention and their thoughts and think, don't leave. You can't leave. You can't leave. That means we both failed. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that anybody failed. It means they're ready to they're ready to move up. Yeah. They're ready to heal into a different dimension. But we can't, you know, we don't know enough that way. But and I think that's one of the most important things is giving yourself permission to heal is really a deep and detailed discussion, because that doesn't mean you have to stay. Mm -hmm. in order to heal. And the other thing that you said, um, you said, oh, something about this thing. And I had this big thought about it because, um, oh, I Take wish I could remember exactly what I was thinking. No problem. Take your time. Um, you know, it's that thing, though. It's the, you don't get to decide what the outcome is. Right. You don't even get to push it on someone. And so it's kind of like, if I put my hands on someone, there's a few things that I ask. One is, who do you pray to? because I want to make sure I invite them in, you know, and it's not for me to say, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> and that's the same kind of thing with healing. And it's the same kind of thing with what the outcome, you know, you don't have to tell me what your desired outcome is. We don't even have to have that discussion mm -hmm. because I, I am simply an open channel. I call myself an open conduit of unconditional love and healing energy. That means I don't have any place in that discussion of this is what we want the outcome to be, because I know better than that. Sacred contracts, your soul has a whole different deal, and that's between them and God. It's, it has no part of you. Emily Francis is my guest. We're talking about her book, which I have my copy right here, ladies and gentlemen. It is Healing Our, Ourselves Whole. It's an interactive guide to releasing pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body. And we're talking about this here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We also encourage you, <clears throat> as we continue our conversation here, to uh, go to her website, which, of course, we will be linked to. And that website happens to be Emily A. Francis Book. Dot com books.com Emily I can a make that easier <laughs> I can make that easier you know why because I got a second website that goes to the same page healing ourselves whole.com perfect healing ourselves whole.com <laughs> just remember the title we'll keep giving it to you here on the program yes. healing ourselves whole.com what a beautiful uh, beautiful uh, website name uh, it's hard to come by sometimes but we hope that you will go there as I said we will be linked to that page as well and we're talking I with do remember go ahead I do remember what I was going to say, and I'm sorry. I didn't Go for it. You. But you had said you had asked me a question about about the whole, the word whole. So I think sometimes people confuse the idea of whole, healing ourselves whole, as completed pieces. Everything's put back in. We're all mm -hmm. restored. Mm -hmm. But that's not what I'm. When I say whole, I mean that you've created a new version, because you can't go back. You can't become something once trauma and other things have come in. But it doesn't mean that that person's totally gone, but you cannot go back in time and become that person again. And a lot of people keep wanting to be what they used to be, and you can't. So when I, when I think of whole, it's still always that movement. It's not a thing where you stop, right. but it's also not a thing where everything's been put back and all the pieces have been politely stitched up and now everything's back together. That's not the idea behind healing ourselves whole. Healing ourselves whole is creating you know, I even put a part in there about PTSD is a huge term that people use all the time. But there's also something called um, post-traumatic growth, PTG. Hmm. And it's the positive side of PTSD. Oh. And now they're using it in clinical settings because it's the way that the things that have been frozen in time can finally unstick. And you can now 
utilize the old information and merge it into something new, a new form and version of yourself. So I put this in the book because I find it fascinating that now therapists talk about post-traumatic stress disorder can now turn into post-traumatic growth. But remember, growth is still like healing. Healing is always an action verb. So you're, you're working towards something. And, and I want to say this too, the cognitive therapists, they talk about trauma, they call it a trauma capsule. So if something is too overwhelming for you to handle, it's like your mind shoves all the thoughts into a capsule, they drop it into the body, and then they walk away. I, my job, because I'm a body worker, is to pick up the capsule that was dropped inside the body, and that's where we begin our process of healing, is from the soft tissue. I uh, had two experiences when working for this station uh, years ago, back in the 80s and early 90s, that I mentioned. One of them was where a group of people uh, who were doing their own prayer program came into the control room. They, of course, could see that I was using a magnifying glass. I was born legally blind, and um, uh, they wanted to um, they wanted to lay hands on me to restore my sight. Well, I was born into this world legally blind. I'd had a number of surgeries as a child in order to be able to see as well as I was at that time, so I declined. I said, no, because basically what they were saying was, you're going to restore my vision back to the way it was when I came into this world. That was my perception, okay? okay? I says, I can't stop you from praying for me, but my purpose in this life is not to be, quote unquote, healed, to have my vision restored. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to provide you with the best quality uh, broadcast experience so that people can listen to your message without distraction so that they can make up their own minds as to whether or not what you're saying is something that they're interested in listening to. All right. That is why I'm here. But again, I can't stop you from praying for me. And um, it was 1996. Technology finally caught up with me. I had a lens implant. I'm driving now. So wow. pretty wild. Pretty wild. Now, the second experience was this. The same station would have these prayer programs, as I mentioned, where people would come into the studio and they would take phone calls from people listening. And over the years, 15 of them, I would hear the same people calling in over and over again, ask, you know, asking for healing. Pray for, pray for this, pray for this. And it took me a while, but I finally figured out they were calling for their healing even if their condition that they were referring to was legitimate, that was real, okay, they were calling for connection, for community, for somebody to acknowledge them. Do you find that a lot of times, and I'm not talking about people who are necessarily hypochondriacs by any means. By the same token, sometimes I wonder if we don't create certain conditions so as to get that attention that maybe we haven't gotten. We haven't been acknowledged, you know, uh, am I? Do I even exist? Is, can somebody please acknowledge my existence kind of thing? I think people desperately want to be heard. No doubt about that. I think they desperately want to be heard. Now, I take exactly what you just said, though, agreeing with everything that you said, but I think sometimes people don't know how to do it out loud, so they go inwards and they beat the tar out of themselves. Mm -hmm. They have a trauma, shame, and guilt cycle that is relentless, and it goes inside that body on a train, 
on a circle cycle and they are so used to beating themselves up. Maybe they got it from outside and then they took it over, but they, there are so many people in the world, more than I can possibly tell you that I've ever put my hands on over 20 plus years of work that people truly do not believe they are worthy or deserving of feeling happy. And, and through this book, through the somatic emotion chart, because I talk about trauma, pain, shame, and grief and all that. But on the second half of this book, I talk about happy, joy, connected, empowered. Your muscles store the same way they store trauma. They store joy. But the more that I've been talking about this book and working through this book myself, the more that it has come to my attention in a big flashing light way, it is one of the bravest, boldest moves you can do to be able to sit still when you feel joy, to be able to let it come up mm. and take over and really experience <laughs> feeling joy without coupling it to a trauma response in yeah. your thought. Yeah. Uh, I just had a really great time. Catastrophe is sitting right around the corner. I'm going down for this. I just felt bliss. I felt completely naked, raw, vulnerable, happy, joyful. That's dangerous. And I'm believing more and more that that is among the bravest, boldest moves that one can do when joy shows up to sit still with it, even closing your eyes, giving that smile and letting your body absorb the experience of feeling that positive, powerful, without the fear setting in, coming right behind it on its heels. I, I, and I think that, yes, people desperately want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. They also want people to feel their pain. People do not like to be, even like years ago, I had a terrible canker sore in my mouth and I went and bought canker sore medicine and I thought it was so gross. I insisted on putting it in my friend's mouth too. And she was like, why, why do you have to make me do this? Why do I have to feel this with you? And it was so, it was an important thing because she's right. Every time I felt something that was slightly uncomfortable, I desperately wanted someone to go through it with me feel this what do you think of this you know and so i think people are lonely i think a lot of people in this world are lonely and i think a lot of people in this world haven't quite figured out how to become their own best friend and partner whether or not you have a partner in life or not it takes it's a huge rite of passage to spend time alone and realize that you are your favorite company that doesn't happen overnight and it's yeah. not handed to you it's something that you create and you earn and that you put into play in your life but until that happens people feel exceedingly lonely. And so I think a lot of times people call in or desperately just want to be heard because nobody's, just for me to get to touch people, for me to get to put my hands on their body, especially massage, so they're all but undressed, they might wear underwear and that's it, and they're draped, and my job is to make you feel safe, protected, and covered, right? I am your safe space. For some people, I am the only touch they get. Mm. I'm their only hug. I'm their only hand on their back. Mm. I'm their only hand on their head. It's motherly. It's nurturing. It's without a reciprocation. It's unconditional love and healing energy without me expecting you to get up and do the same. And so it's, it's one of the greatest gifts in the world to be able to give human touch because people need it so badly. And now more than ever with everything that's been going on, people are lonely. They're just, they just want to be mm -hmm. hugged. They want to be touched. Mm -hmm. They want a hand on their shoulder. They want eye connection. They want somebody to say, I hear you and I'm with you. And I think sometimes even to call into a radio station, if somebody could just answer and go, I hear the, I hear you mm -hmm. and I'm with you. And then somebody, all of a sudden they get warm in their body. Oh, I'm not alone in this moment. You know, however that is that they reach out for it. That's what it's, 
that's the way they're going to go for it. Healing Ourselves Whole. That's the title of the book. We're talking with Emily Francis. She has a wonderful quote here from a good friend of ours on this program. His name is Bernie Siegel. He says, read this excellent healing material or manual and begin the process of becoming whole and complete. And I think that the, if you will, the service that you provide through this, you know, whatever modality you choose to use. And I would venture uh, being a Reiki master. That is just one of the modalities that you utilize. We already talked, of course, about kinesiology. I'm wondering how well does kinesiology, though, work from you dealing with somebody else in the context of this process, whether it be massage, whether it be uh, an absentee or maybe a Zoom <laughs> uh, healing or whatever other modality you use? I don't use kinesio testing on other people, uh, to be honest. Uh, it's not in my practice. My practice is hands-on. When my hands are on someone's body, mm-hmm. I know where to go. I don't have to do a lot of testing and questions. Uh, it's way, way beyond that place. Uh, testing, now me and my children go to a naturopath and he tests us all the time. He's the best kinesio tester I've ever seen. And he's so great with my kids because he doesn't ask the questions out loud. They have no idea what they're answering. And mm-hmm. he just holds their hands. He doesn't do any of this, hold your tight, nothing. Mm-hmm. He just holds their hands and he can tap in. And to me, he's fantastic at it. I'm not fantastic at it. So I would never waste my time putting it in my practice because I'm not good at it. But when my hands are on, I don't need that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a dialogue between someone's body muscles. The muscles are my jam. Of all the things that I know and do, the muscles and me have a very beautiful language between us. And I love everything about the muscles. They speak. They and they're so full of information and they're desperate for somebody to listen. And I can do that. So when I put my hands on someone, I literally in my head go, all right, buddy, I got you. Tell me what you need me to know. And then we go. And it, you know, I don't need to listen. And I don't let people sit and tell me their stories either. They can do it while we're working, but they cannot tell me before because I need to be able to listen to your body without your mind getting in the way. So, so I don't want that narrative. <laughs> yeah, you actually have the last three pages of your book are uh, full full body uh, muscle breakdowns from the front, the side, and the back. Uh, now I haven't read the the details of the uh, uh, of what you're pointing to in each of the segments here, uh, each of the, the parts of the musculature. But one of the things that I found with chiropractic, for example, and I remember back in the 80s, we had a chiropractor on the radio station. And back then, pff, chiropractic, oh, yeah. you know, that's quacky. that is quacky. That is woo woo. That is no way the insurance companies are ever going to going to support that, which <laughs> of course now they do. Um, but one of the things that struck me uh, with chiropractic was that um, if you're skeletal structure is out of alignment, which is 99% of the problem in that regard. It's like um, your musculature is like a bunch of rubber bands. And if the skeletal structure gets out of whack, the rubber bands tend to go in that direction, out of whack. So when the chiropractor goes in and makes whatever adjustments that the chiropractor makes, he's trying to get, or she is trying, I had a female chiropractor, she was very good, and she would do the the manipulation, do the adjustment, I guess I should say, that would sort of retrain the rubber bands to go back the way they were they're supposed to be. That's kind of how I looked at it, uh, going from 
the combination, the connectedness of the skeletal structure to the musculature of the, of the human body. Um, and you say you have a wonderful relationship in that regard with the muscles and so forth, the, the, the connective tissues, if you will, uh, of, the, of the human body. Is that, a, is that a fair analogy? It is. It's absolutely fair. I, I, when you were saying it, I was thinking, you know, when I think of chiropractic, the brain and spinal cord is your central nervous system. So that's your messaging system of the body. Mm -hmm. They receive messages by the nerve impulses that travel through the muscles. Mm -hmm. So the muscles give the messages that go into the brain and spinal cord, then they get adjusted and the muscles and the nerve impulses, they send the messages back. Hey, we're better. Let's do this. They, they, work, they work in tandem. Of course they do. But the muscles are what receives those nerve impulses to give it to the message, to the main, to the motherboard. And then, you know, we reboot the system and then the motherboard sends back out and gives that message through all the body. We're good. We're good. Everybody let go. <laughs> no need to hold on so tight now. You know, so it's it's I really love, though, body work, massage, neuromuscular therapy and chiropractic side by side. When I worked at a chiropractor chiropractic office, I found that people held adjustments much longer and cleaner and their muscles released in a beautiful way. But I did realize after many years with them that I prefer muscle work than the adjustment not the other way around. But that's my own preference from my own hands-on and going, you know what? I actually prefer when I work on you first and then you go down the hall and then you're like rock star solid because they finish it off and really get everything. But I've loosened everything so that the adjustments are really simply done. Yeah. But when they adjust first and they're hard, 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 and then they get on my table, the messaging system is just starting to release the messages. And now I'm trying to compete with it while I'm helping these muscles settle down. And I feel like it's a little bit chaotic. And so when, when I get to do the muscles first and then the chiropractor gets to be the cherry on top, ding, it all just, it just seems much smoother to me. But that's, you know, if you ask any chiropractor, they're like, ah, oh, it's just whatever your schedule is. No, nobody has ever agreed with me as heavily, except for my own chiropractor. We both came to that same conclusion. Like, you know what? We work really well together, but you should go first. <laughs> Well, I will tell you that I couldn't agree with you more because it makes logical sense. And I'm all about logic. It makes sense when you think about it. You, and, and this has happened, I'm sure. You have uh, put a rubber band around something, okay? And you just throw it in a drawer. And you go back to it weeks, months, years later. And what has happened to that rubber band? It's dried out. It's stiff. And it breaks and it just flakes off of whatever you were restraining, shall we say. So you need to loosen that up. Now, in that case, you know, okay, it, it needs to be, uh, it needs either water or it needs some lubrication, if you will, the, the rubber band, in order to retain or go back to its elasticity. Now, rubber, of course, that's not what's going to happen. But with the musculature, you can do that because you add fluid, you, you know, whatever right. that is, especially water, especially water. And you're and releasing lactic acid. You're yeah. releasing all sorts of stuff. You're opening up the lymph system. All that all that that lubrication is working. And so the spine is like, yeah, buddy, let's do this. Yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I remember years ago. It's funny because when you when you're talking about this, it brought back a memory. I was in high school. 
And I worked at a gymnastics center. I coached gymnastics with a lot of body workers, you know, doctors, and a lot of, you know, the healthcare people that are coaching big high level teams. Mm -hmm. And this one man put me in a, on a chair and he said, Oh, I went to massage school and he did the most bizarre. I've never felt it ever in my life since him. He, he did this really bizarre uh, thing up my spine, up and down and up and down and up and down. It was this like, like friction. Mm -hmm. And then he did like a bing off the top of my head. And it was the most incredible sensation of my life. Now, this is before I'd gone to massage school or anything else, but it was like my whole body was like vibrating. And I said, what was that? And he said, I had your spinal fluids reconnect and move up and down through the spine. Ooh. I helped them open up. And no one's ever done that to this day. And I've had a lot of crazy healings in my life, <laughs> but no one has ever done that. And I have to say, I'm kind of on a quest for something like that to really speak and move that spinal fluid the way that it did. It was, it was spectacular. Yeah. And I was just sitting in a chair, but it's so neat that, I mean, this guy was a kid's coach. You know, gymnastics coach, sweet, sweet, older man who happened to have gone to, you know, massage school years before. And I, I still don't know that he learned that in massage school because massage doesn't work with the spine. They work on the muscles. Mm -hmm. It's out of their scope. It's not in their lane. But whatever in the world he did that day, <laughs> I would love to have it again because it was really cool. Lubrication in the spine. So let me ask you something. <clears throat> you, you brought up that memory for yourself there as in our conversation. So. How did you did you just revisit that sensation as we have yes. as you were sharing that? Yes. And 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 that must have been quite a, a a wonderful, blissful, joyful sensation just now as we you were sharing because that. my muscles hold the memories, yeah, not just the trauma memories. Mm -hmm. So it's me digging back in and saying, "Hey, body, do you remember when that?" When that guy did that to your spine and you felt so amazing and my muscles said, yes, I do. Let me send you some of that. <laughs> That's the same kind of stuff. When you go back into the bliss response from the muscles, mm -hmm. when you hear a song and you remember your first love and you're back in the car and you're listening to the song and all of a sudden the smells are coming back and you're fully transported back in time. Why? Because the muscle memory is releasing the same way it releases trauma, where you have like a flashback, but this is a flashback of all really happy, joyful experiences. They're all in your body waiting to be reproduced, to make more, more, more for your own healing and to allow you to be brave and bold that you're allowed to feel happy anytime you want. Yeah. Uh, it, it brings back one particular memory for me. Uh, my present wife and I went, took a trip to Ireland and many of the photographs or virtual backgrounds that people see on the YouTube uh, editions of Tell Me Your Story are seeing pictures that we took, that I took, on that trip, including the one that you see behind me now. Beautiful. And um, we went out to uh, the Aran Islands off of uh, County Galway to an island called Inishmoor. And there is this prehistoric fort, granite fort, that was stacked stones and the whole thing. And there's this giant granite slab. And it's hanging out over the edge of the cliff about, I don't know, two, three, maybe four feet. Wow. And I wanted to go out on the edge of that thing, sit down and take photographs along the cliff there, okay? Which I did. I had absolutely no fear whatsoever. Until, until, <laughs> <laughs> do 
Number one, when we got when we went back to uh, where we were supposed to uh, embark, uh, get back on the ferry to go back to uh, the island to uh, uh, Ireland to Gal- County Galway, um, in the gift shop, there was this floor to ceiling, and we're talking two story floor to ceiling mural of that very cliff from a distance, probably by helicopter. All right, I'm going. Oh, my God, I was up there. Wow. Then that <laughs> night, I'm laying safe and sound and snug in my bed inside the stone cottage that we were staying in on Inish Knee there in County Galway. And the fear hit. And I, I, I'm going, and I kept trying to tell myself, look, you have nothing to be afraid of because you're not there. You're not there. But it was like, it was sort of a delayed reaction. It was very, very strange. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, I sometimes think about that. I'll look at those pictures, and every once in a while I go, oh, my God. Oh, you know, I get that, I get that shiver of, what if I'd fallen? But you didn't. But, and that's one of the, I love these, these conversations you see in television programs and movies where, uh, the, you know, somebody does something and the other person, maybe it's their partner, says, you know, you could have been killed. You could have been this. Da, 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 da. And, of course, they're standing right there having this conversation. But I wasn't. But I didn't. But it didn't happen the way you think it was, you know. And it's like, come on. You know, you're in the moment right now. There is no need for the fear. And I, I kept trying to figure out, I haven't figured out yet why it is that my brain decided 10, 12 hours later to kick the fear in. It was very strange. You dove into what if territory. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what if territory is bad news. No kidding. Even, I mean, you can turn it around and then go, what if everything does work out? What if this? But you know what? That's a lot of extra effort on that task. Like if you start sentences with what if, just change yeah. it. Like chill it out because you know you've just opened up a can. Yeah. But you know, my thought is though, I wonder if it was like a delayed response. You know how certain people can handle trauma like CPR or something when mm. something bad is happening and mm-hmm. they go into that calm place. Yep. And then later when everybody's gone, they finally go, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> believe I just did that. I feel like you kind of did that. Like you were in this place. You knew you were going to be safe. You probably felt a lot of spiritual energy and protection. You're out in Ireland. I mean, hello. That's like, you know, Mecca of spirituality of prayer yes. and covering and you very easily could have just been in the space of like, I know I'm going to be safe. I really want to do this. And then the body later goes, Ooh, do you know what you did? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and of course the funny thing was, as I'm sitting out on that slab, my wife is going, where did you say you put the insurance policy? (laughs) (laughs) Now, the funny thing about that was that I had purchased one of these uh, beautiful uh, woolen Irish hats Kind of like you see the cabbies, you know, wearing, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I had tucked it in the vest I was wearing, on the in, just on the inside of the vest, not into a pocket. So I'm wa- crawling back from the edge, and it had fallen out of my vest, but I didn't know it. And so we're getting ready to leave, and my head, which, as you can see, it was very cold because the winds were blowing. I said, where's my hat? It's not. And I looked over, and there it was on the slab, which meant I had to go back out on the slab to get no. it. No! Yeah, and it's like I couldn't believe it was still there because the winds were blowing a little that's bit. That's a spiritual know? thing to me. Oh, my god! To gosh. me, that's a big, like, 
that's a sign yeah to me to me that's not like oh what a coincidence yeah i don't do that but I, that's a big one but i have to tell you the experiences that we've had there are are marvelous the people that we met are incredible uh and so those memories they sort of supersede the fear that 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 racked me for a few hours that night uh but again i i continue to remind myself uh you're here now okay there, there, there is no reason for you to even be feeling the fear. Uh, that was when I was 30, was it 34? No, 44. I was 44 when I did that. I am now 61. So obviously, <laughs> there's nothing more to fear. And 44 uh, is a big number of change. So maybe you did some big shifting over there. That may have been it. Another area of change is how you can go about healing yourself whole and in the case of the title of the book it's actually healing ourselves whole it is an interactive guide to releasing pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body when we talk about the wisdom of the body uh, are we talking at all in this context about our intuition or is that just sort of a an sort of the cherry on top as you've kind of used that analogy when it comes to listening to the body uh intuition is important it's when you start talking for it that you have a problem so your intuition says something's up but are you willing to step back and listen and let your body speak to you because that's what i want so intuition is really important and it's a wonderful guiding force but it cannot but you can't all of a sudden tap in and go okay something's up and then you decide but I think it's this, this, this. Or when we go into the body, because every chapter is a different meditation under a different emotion. And then there's a journal to help you remember what your body spoke. And what a lot of people try to do is undermine it. So if they think, okay, this trauma, I'm gonna go in and do this meditation for trauma. And I can already tell you where it is and what it's from because it's A to B, it's a textbook thing. Mm -hmm. But then when you like shut your mouth and step back and take away all the dialogue and let your body speak, it might be a completely different time and space. It might mm. be a completely different story. It might be a completely different ailment you have to let the body speak to you and you have to be open to whatever that story is because we are so quick and and i use this example in the book and it's a silly one but it makes a lot of sense so i love the karate kid like love i have loved it oh, yes. since the day it came wax out in the movie theater on, the wax, wax on wax off yes, i saw it in the theaters <laughs> i loved it so much my room was decorated with ralph macchio i mean i loved it oh yeah and years later i read an interview from one of the cast of the karate kid and he said that the night, like on opening night, the whole cast went and sat across the row, front or back, I can't remember. And they were thinking, you know, this is a little low budget film. We're going to see if people like it. And he said at the end of the movie, people were jumping up on their chairs and hooting and hollering. And, and he was like, they knew at that moment that they were, they were sitting on a hit, right? And years later, I'm telling my kids, because I'm showing them just the tournament scene, because they're not ready to watch the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And I find myself telling them the story that I'm in the theater, and everybody's jumping on the chair, hooting and hollering, and it was so great. And then I had to remind myself that that's not actually my story. That's not actually what happened to me when I went at 10 years old and went to the movie. I don't remember what happened to me when I saw it in the movie. I read somebody else's interview and made that my own. That's how quick and easy the mind is open to interpretation. So now I've changed the narrative completely around my story. 
The only actual fact is I was in the movie theater watching it. Other than that, none of my story now matched what was really what happened. So that's the same thing that happens in the body. So when we undergo some sort of trauma, our mind ejects from the body, is always hazy on the memories, puts things back together, but the body can't eject. So the body has the actual facts of what happened in that moment in time. And your mind has played a puzzle. So when you use your mind to go into your body and you decide to tell your body the story, your body's like, garbage, this again? We're going under this again? You're mm. still gonna tell the same story? When do I get to have my turn? That's not actually what happened. <laughs> you know? And, and that's important because like, okay, so my sister got in a car accident. I use this in the book. I'm working on her because she had whiplash. She lost her voice. I went right to her house, like two hours after the accident. I'm in there, I'm working. I can feel these muscles tightening and I'm asking questions. Which way were you looking? Where were you hit? How was this? What was going on? And she was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I could tell by the muscles. All right, you were looking this way. These muscles got damaged. Okay. And I'm listening to like the body's messaging, trying to get into the muscles. And I'm realizing I can't bypass it, but I can talk to the body and go, hey, let's, let's cushion this blow a little bit. So as you're trying to access what's happened, we're okay. We're going to work through this. But the muscles know exactly where they were sitting and exactly how the impact occurred and exactly what went on to the body. Mm -hmm. So when something assaults the body, it goes and it stays, in fact. So the intuition is important to alert to something, and then it's important to step back and shut up and then let the body start talking. <laughs> it, it's almost like the way women like to listen to men when they first start dating, and the man is telling them exactly who they are. I don't want to be in a relationship. And a woman goes, eh, you know what? <laughs> You're just afraid. This is what happened before. I'll make this better. You're not listening to what he just said. Mm -hmm. He actually just told you exactly his truth. And you decided that that wasn't true and that this is why it's not true. And that's what happens with the body and the mind. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's silliness, really, but it's dangerous because all we know how to do is operate from the mind. But your body is like, Hey, I've got chronic pain here that started from 1980 at this particular moment. And if you will listen to me, I can help release this. But until you give me that time to be heard, I'm going to keep playing under your silly story that isn't even true. Hmm. We're talking about healing. That's right. Healing Ourselves Whole is the title of the book. Emily Francis, Emily A. Francis is our guest here on the program. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. And we're, we're talking about this aspect of an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body. I often refer to the writings down through the centuries as the ancient wisdom teachings. But it seems to me that the ancient wisdom teachings, as beautiful and wonderful and valuable and insightful as they might be, pale in comparison to the wisdom of the body when it comes to our wholeness, right? We can learn a lot. We can even, learn a lot. But even, even the cellular, like cellular memory is passed down. It's actually been proven. 
that like Holocaust victims pass down the cellular trauma through the DNA through through the to the next generations. These are proven. These cells, the cellular memory is and it's not just genetic code. They're like genetic codes. They're passed on into the body. So the, the body wisdom really is innate and it's it's an important part of the healing piece. And I think where we went wrong is we only listen to the mind and the brain and the cognitive therapist and these hands-on manual therapists are are considered blue collar workers and they're not out there in the labs and they're not out there writing books. And so their beautiful wisdom of history and knowledge gets washed away, but it's been there forever. So if you talk to like different cultures of body healing, because, you know, in a lot of cultures, this is one of the most sacred work in the world. And so listening and letting those pass down is an important piece of your healing but mostly learning how to listen to whatever it is that your body is really excited for you to know. Mm -hmm. And I have to jump ship for one second and just tell you, we were talking about Ireland and I just want, do you know where I am right now? Uh-oh. Don't if 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 you're in anywhere near Ireland, I'm going to be really upset that you didn't contact me to be your sherpa <laughs> to carry your luggage. I would have done it. I'm not near Ireland, but I live in Malta now. Oh my so gosh. I'm in Malta. Oh. <laughs> And I have to tell you, it is, so today, remember I said I was running late and I was really worried. So I now write for Oh My Malta, which is the tourism magazine. And they've let me come in and I interview local farmers and we discuss the food since it's a GMO free country and we get to go play. So today me and my children got to play in the strawberry fields oh. and they have these flat peaches that don't exist in the United States. And we got to meet with this farmer and it is just such a joy and a pleasure to be here and to eat this food. We didn't have to wash it off. You just pick it up and eat. It tasted like jasmine and strawberries all together. Like the scent of purity is so different. But when you were talking about Ireland, I couldn't let my beautiful, precious, beloved new home in Malta <laughs> because it is my new home. And I tell people I have since moved to a little place called Heaven on Earth, and it's located in Malta. And if you want to see me, you're going to need to come here. because. <laughs> well. My we hat is off year. to you. I, <laughs> I, I do envy you, but I am also uh, almost in tears of joy for you and your family Thank because you. that is one of, uh, I believe, the ultimate experiences that we as human beings can have to reconnect, to connect, to cavort with, to su uh, submerge ourselves in Mother Nature. Uh, I've often said, in, and this is... In spite of the fact that you use the phrase, the wisdom of the body, I still will tell you, and I tell our listeners all the time, I still believe that the greatest teacher for mankind, the greatest teacher, is nature. Is nature. I agree with that. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I agree with... Uh, you know, many years of Tai Chi going in the park and being barefoot and meditating to the trees and hoping nobody took my tree before I got there first because we all had our, our trees that we loved. And I would look over at my beautiful Ophelia and think, no, he's standing in front of her. She's waiting for me. But the, the things that the trees have taught me and the earth and the it is it's beautiful, but it, it's a, it, it is absolutely the greatest wisdom in the world. It is. And it travels up inside and through your body. And, and that's why, you know, earthing, you should be 15 minutes every day barefoot so that you can, it's electric nutrition for the body. If you haven't really researched it, it's uh, now finally no more quack watch and on the PubMed articles uh, uh, as electric nutrition, but it is 
so empowering and healthy and healing to just be barefoot 15 minutes a day gets those electrons up inside the body that we need from the earth. And do you know that there's research now that says the higher up you live, like in condos, mm -hmm. the more likely you are for heart attack and stroke because you're not near the earth's surface. Well, I will tell you that where we live here in Santa Barbara, we live up on, on the mountain. We call it the summit. Uh, there's a, a main highway called the 154. It's called San Marcos Pass. And uh, uh, when you go up the hill, as I like to call it, when you reach the top of the hill, that's where you make the turn to go down another side road to get to our place. So we're literally at the top of the hill. But our house, the, the cottage that we rent, it's a two-room cottage, is built on a hill. So the back, the back of the house, the, of the two-room cottage, is, on, is, is level with the ground. But the front of the cottage is actually, it's almost like split level. There is a crawl space underneath the porch where we're facing the valley, where we can see the mountain ranges off to the north, northeast. And um, so we're actually above the ground probably, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven feet Okay, on that side of the house. But you're on the earth up high. But that's we are different. On I'm talking about the, high rise. Exactly. No, no, no. That's exactly what, because I got that from you. You said if you're yeah. up in a high rise, you know, a three, four, five, six story uh, condo, I got that. And I thought, well, then we're doing pretty darn good. The only yes, downside for us is you can't really walk around barefoot out in the wilderness. It's, I used to, as a kid growing up in Phoenix, we'd walk on the hot pavement and the grass. But out here in the wilderness in this Los Padres National Forest, you kind of might get stuck in the foot with a few things you don't want in your feet. But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, it's a great experience. And I, I, I am so happy that your children in particular are able to, to have this experience. They must. Now, I'm curious. How old are your kids right now? Seven and eight. And now, we moved here this year during during lockdown. Okay. We were the last we were the last people allowed in this country before they shut the gates. To and Americans. you moved there from where? From Atlanta, Georgia. So Atlanta, Georgia, big city. Yep. All right. And it was only a year ago. Uh -huh. Did your kids have any problems acclimating? Did they really want to go or were they still hooked into all of our technology and all those kinds of things to where they kind of resisted? No, they didn't resist. And I'll tell you why. One, we were already in lockdown. So we had already separated ourselves from everything. We were already living just the four of us, my mm -hmm. husband, me and my children and our four animals. And we flew here with our four animals. So we moved with our whole home intact, you know. And mm -hmm. the other thing is the big the big draw that we did is we're going to get a house with a pool. <laughs> so we have a really big swimming pool in the backyard that overlooks the Mediterranean Sea. Mm. And uh, my children really jumped on that. And I think the heart, the hardest was leaving my mom. I'm really ready for her to come and stay for a while. That was the toughest leave. But um, the fact that we got to bring three dogs and a cat with us, had we not been able to bring our animals, I think my children would have suffered desperately and me too. Yeah, yeah. But instead we moved across the world, sight unseen, never having visited, taking this leap of faith and knowing that it was a better life for our kids. And so I think that both of our children are really on board because I don't think they've ever seen their mom as happy as I am here. I feel at peace in a way that I didn't, I didn't at all in the South. And um, 
because we lived an hour south of Atlanta and it just didn't fit for me at all. So even when I was writing Healing Ourselves Whole, I talk about your environment, your physical environment and creating oh. the best physical environment. Yeah. And I was literally sitting at my office in Georgia with a brick wall in front of my computer. And I'm looking at the brick wall and I wrote it to myself that where you are today does not indicate where you're going to be a year from now. Mm -hmm. And I was writing this letter to me. And, and talking totally to me of like, hey, Emily, I know that you're not happy and you're trying to make the best of it for your kids and your family and you don't want to complain, but you hate living in the Bible Belt. You feel like you're restricted at every turn. You feel like I felt like I was crawling into a tiny little box and becoming invisible in an attempt to make my children be seen. And here it's a 98% Catholic country and we happen to be Catholic, but we're not like super devout, hardcore. Um, and here it's not anything like an American Catholic or an American anything religion, because America is based on Protestant. It's a, it's an evangelical backbone. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, that doesn't exist. Yeah. So here there's 365 Catholic churches in Malta and Malta has less than 500,000 people. You have a church every 500 feet or less. So you're not. So when I moved to that southern part of Georgia, the only thing anybody asked me was, have you found a church yet? <laughs> well, here in Malta, that's all they asked me. They didn't care who I was, what I was about, where I come from. It was just they wanted to be the one to bring me to their church. Yeah. But here in Malta, your zip code determines your church. So no one asks you, have you found a church yet? Because they feel like that's your business and your faith. Mother Mary is in every building. Jesus is in every building. It's on both sides of my home. It's lovely and gorgeous. It makes me feel safe. But that's my personal, I, I love that I moved into a house. There's also a Buddha statue in the backyard. And when I saw the Buddha, I thought, yes, I am home. I got Mary in the front. I got Mary in the garden. I got Buddha out back. This is where I need to be. Yeah. This is what's up because nobody, I don't know. They're different here. They just don't judge you. Yeah. I feel so much more myself. I feel like there's been a part of my soul that's been waiting for me to come here and claim it, to be mm. honest. So this has been for me the greatest year of my life. And how do my children not operate well? when your family unit is so healthy and happy and, and they're at a school that they are loving. And it's so many international kids, even though it's not an international school and the children are so lovely and accommodating to everyone because so many people are from different countries, mm -hmm. but there's very, very few Americans here on the Island. And so like I was talking, uh, I, I'm actually the children's van supervisor for their school van in the morning because they have these different little old ladies that are retired and they sit on each school van and my children didn't have a supervisor. And, and so I volunteered. So I ride to school every day with the kids and the neighborhood kids. And I love it. Mm. And it was a way to just join the community, you know, but I got to see how people act. And in the morning, you know, in the afternoon, the parents know that I'm one of the parents. But in the morning, the people that drop their kids off, I'm standing with the van supervisors. So I get to be a fly on the wall and watch how these parents walk their children in. And I get to watch how the principal or the headmaster and the teachers greet the children. I get to be invisible and watch and find out that these burly European men kiss their children on the mouth. I love you. I love you. Daddy loves you. Have a great day. The mothers are so loving. It's like we've come back to the family unit here. Mm. And, you know, video games exist here, but in no way, in no capacity, the way they exist in America. 
So mm. it's it's a, the kids are outside, they're playing, and Malta's rated one of the safest countries in the world. So to be able to take your kids places and not be terrified all the time, like I got lost, I got totally lost and I wound up on a country road and the road ended and it was about to be mud, which I didn't even notice. And I look around and there's like horses and people walking horses, but no cars. And this man is like, came out of nowhere. And he's like, miss, miss, roll your window down. And you know what my thought was? I'm going to run over his feet. Okay, he's going to try to steal my kids. I'm going to hit his feet. And then if he keeps trying, I'm going to hit his knees. Like I had this whole exit plan of like, yeah. why is this guy up yeah. to my car? Guess what? I cracked the window and he goes, miss, your car's too nice for this road. You're about to hit mud. I'll direct you out to the road. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh, I almost ran you over. <laughs> wow. Well, as a reverend, let me bless you, my child, for oh, your you. your connection to nature. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, we're we're very excited about the fact that, that we have you here on the program. We're talking with Emily Francis, healing ourselves whole. Where you're living is just spectacular. I, 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 I yes, I do envy you. Uh, that opportunity because we want to move to Ireland to stay. Uh, and I have to say we had a similar experience in Ireland when, when, uh, when we uh, were there the first time. And it was actually, we flew out on the 23rd of December from Phoenix and we arrived on Christmas Eve, not realizing that everything would be closed except, of course, our hotel. And then, of course, we had the 25th which was Christmas Day, not knowing that the next day was also another holiday, the 26th. Yes. <laughs> but we had a fabulous time. But we were driving through Dublin, and um, we were just trying to find our way. I think we were headed down towards Waterford in our bed and breakfast that we were going to be staying at for about a week. And we were traveling along, and this one car came up alongside and kind of motioned us to pull over. Uh, and um, and we did, and not really thinking anything of it. We weren't concerned. Uh, and they said, are you lost? And we said, well, uh, sort of. How did you know? He says, well, because you're in, they call them indicators. It's turn yes, signal. Yes. Turn your, signals, yes. Your indicator is, is still on, and you're staying in the same lane. I said, oh, we, we didn't realize. <laughs> and they gave us a few directions, and, of course, we went on our way. And that was, that was one of the reasons why, is one of the reasons why I want to move to Ireland, because of the people. They are absolutely marvelous. I could sit in a pub, even if I didn't understand. If they were speaking Gaelic, I wouldn't care. I would just want to sit there and listen to them speak. That's how I feel. Uh, that it, is how I feel. It is just, you know, and, um, you know, there are pockets of these kinds of communities all over the world. Are you willing to open yourself up and listen uh, like, like we talk about on the program? Listen to that still small voice. Now, <clears throat> we've lived here in Santa Barbara for 15 years. It is a nice place. We've made a lot of great friends, in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would sort of hate to leave, but I'm, I'm ready to go. But at the same time, just like when we moved to Santa Barbara in 2006, um, there is what I like to refer to. Many people also use this term. There's also what's called divine right timing. Mm, yes, yes. Now, I, when I met my, my second wife, who I'm with today, uh, we were in Phoenix for eight years together before we moved to Santa Barbara. And, of course, she's been itching, just like I, to move. 
we want to move someplace further north where it's not so darn warm like uh, like it's going to be as our conversation. Uh, it's it's going to be kind of warm here on the Central Coast and, of course, uh, the southwestern United States. Uh, Phoenix is supposed to like 118, 119, what have you, um, and so forth. And Santa Barbara in the south coast and California is supposed to get pretty warm as well in the, in the 80s or 90s. Uh, and um, so that's one of the reasons. But I would much rather make a permanent home of Ireland. And I've been putting that out and putting that out and putting that out. And it's like, okay, and I know that the opportunity will come, just like the opportunity to move here. I wanted to move to the ocean. Now, it wouldn't matter really where we moved in Ireland because you're not that far from the water, no matter where you live, even if you're in the center of Ireland. That's Malta. Well, yeah. Malta's tiny. Yeah. So the, the water's everywhere here. All yeah. roads lead to the sea is what I say. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, people need to be open to that. And there are times when you get that feeling that I feel stuck. I feel, you know, and, and quite honestly, that to me, and I want to I, I wanna, I wanna put this in the context of a question, uh, that's something that we need to be listening to our bodies about as well, because sometimes oh, yes. our wholeness doesn't require any physical, biological, physiological adjustments. It's our psyche, it's our soul that needs that adjustment by a change of environment. Yes, because that makes all the difference uh, in the world. It's it's a major part of any kind of healing. And the thing is, I'm not a traveler by by practice. And me moving out of the country and going is not a typical thing for me. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I knew that my soul was craving, desperately craving something else. And I was sitting in my naturopath's office with my husband, trying to explain to my husband that this wasn't something where I'm trying to escape something that I'm not dealing with within myself. Mm -hmm. So if we up and move, I'm still me and having this whatever issue. Mm -hmm. And I, I kept trying to explain that it wasn't that, but that I knew that there was a place in the world where I would wake up and look outside and go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we live here. Yeah, I'm so happy. And I knew it existed, but I knew it was not in the South. I knew it wasn't really even in America at that point because things had gotten so tumultuous. I just was I felt very stifled. Mm. Um, but there's a thing I, I, you might be familiar with it. I'm still looking for somebody for my radio show to interview on astrocartography. Are you familiar with that? Ooh, yes, I have someone uh, in mind I might put you in touch with. Please do, because astro so people that are listening, if you don't, it's it's your 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 horoscope your, your whole natal chart mm -hmm. at the time that you were born matching up to the geographical location of the earth where your soul is at its highest and lowest where things resonate and where things don't and that to me i've never had it done and i wasn't willing to seek it out before malta because i knew malta was my chance yeah i knew it and i didn't want anybody messing with it right but but and i still don't i i actually don't want somebody to do a reading for me about Malta, because Malta is my home and yeah. I love it so much that yeah. I don't need anybody telling me yay or nay. But at the time I felt so stuck and so lost that I kept thinking something is calling to me. Something is calling, but I cannot figure out from where. Mm. Would you would you uh, even be willing to speculate that there's something connected with maybe some of your past lives that called, sure. called you to Malta? Yeah. I do. Even and even if it's not necessarily like I've lived here before, I feel like my grandmother was my closest and I love her and miss her so much. And she was devout Catholic and, uh, and she was Irish. She was from Ireland and her and the other half of the family was Italian. 
but I feel her here. And, and this last week, my children had their first Holy Communion. And, oh, um, wow. And I just, I feel like it's such a big thing. And my grandmother always wanted me to be a reader at church. And I always thought, my gosh, I don't go often enough to put my name in the ring and like commit to this. But they, uh, because I'm the van supervisor, this, the person that's over all the vans is also over the catechism. So she asked me last week, like, Miss Emily, can I speak with you for a moment? Takes me off to the side. And would you be willing to be a reader for your daughter's Holy Communion ceremony? And I was like, yes, I would love to. And in my head, I was like, no, I would not want to do that. You know, but, but you know, the rest of me is going, of course I will. And I, I thought about it and I thought, all right, grandma, I feel you. This is your way of letting me know that you're going to be here. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad. But there's something energetically about Malta. And you might really appreciate this. I feel like it's clouded with prayer and clouded in a good way. Mm -hmm, I feel like the mm -hmm. whole top of the country is covered. Like there's been so much prayer in this place and so much faith and so much grace and so much war and so much recovery and so much healing and rebuilding that the, the energy, not just below your feet, because there's so many hidden treasures below the ground mm -hmm. of all these hideaways from the war. So you can actually go into a lot of underground places. There's even a place called the hypogeum, which is underground and the sound waves kill cancer cells. This is a huge mecca wow. of healing. Wow. But the ground is different, but the top of this, I feel like I'm covered. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm truly covered in all the history's prayers. It just, you feel it. And I, I can't fully explain it. You'd have to really be here, but it's almost in the air. It's almost like you breathe it in and feel a sense of protection and love and light that, that is very deeply. I mean, there's cities here that predate Christ himself. It is incredibly ancient part you know we and the other day my friends took me out on their boat and they showed where saint paul crashed when he was trying to get to the vatican but he missed and that's how they discovered malta and the, there's a huge statue of saint paul up above and i mean on the on the feast of saint paul the country shuts down and they party from morning to night <laughs> they drink wine they drink they eat bread they get drunk enough to jump in the sea and that's the start of the summer and now you're going to be swimming and it's a big big blessed event and every month is some huge feast day where the world stops my kids had so many days off school my mom was like do they go to school <laughs> uh, you know and the last month is all half days like they just enjoy life wow. more yeah and so it's they're they're building here we are building whole people whole well-rounded little kids that go to school and take drama at school and music at school and art and and technology yes and their mediterranean heritage and compassion classes you know i had a meditation on my own meditation cd titled gratitude and my daughter saw it come on the ipod yesterday and she goes gratitude that was our lesson in school this week I was like, what? <laughs> there are no accidents. It's beautiful. So yeah. I feel tremendously blessed. I feel like I'm living the dream and I pinch myself and I and I have to work hard to take my own advice and live bold and brave in my happiness because it's almost terrifying to be this happy. Almost. Mm. But I have to stop myself and go, no, 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 no. Enjoy this. This is your new life. You don't That's know how it. long you get to have it, but I hope it's a really long time. But I really love this new life. So 
enjoy it instead of constantly pushing it away or thinking, well, probably something's going to, you know, who knows what, you know, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. So I've worked really hard with my own inner dialogue mm. to go, you know what, Emily, you've been blessed with this opportunity and by God, you're going to take it and you're going to really make it your own. And to think that I moved here during COVID at a time that my children got into a school where I didn't know even where it was located. I wasn't driving on the other side of the road. I didn't know how to get there. Boom. I'm their, their van supervisor. I've ridden the, the bus with them every day to be able to walk my kids to school when no one, no parents allowed there. I've gotten to meet the teachers. I've gotten to meet all the staff and things that tons of other parents would kill to get to do. I'm the only parent that rides the van, the only. And not only that, but here I am writing for Oh My Malta, and I've been on TV six times on a wellness show since I moved here, and on primetime last week, I've had these opportunities that I never got yeah. in the States. Yeah. I mean, it's like everybody here goes, you know what, I have a friend and they want to help you, and they just pick up the phone and go, yeah, okay, they'll be calling you. They're going to put you on their show. I mean, it's so different, and there's no paparazzi here. Not that I'm famous and would know, but there's no paparazzi. Yeah. It doesn't exist here. So everybody's just kind of everybody. It's just kind of who are you? What do you bring to the table? Are you good people? And how long are you staying? That's the question everybody wants to know. How much should I invest in this friendship? Because how long are you planning on staying? Mm. And then when I say Malta's my home, they go, okay, do you want to come over? You know, and then they <laughs> like start having this friendship. But, you know, one of the moms sat down with me and she said, I watched my son fall in love with his best friend last year and then they moved away. So I have to ask you the question, how long are you going to stay? because I don't want to watch my kid go through this again. And yeah. I was like, no, Malta's our home. Yeah. You know, it changes. You know, sometimes it's big changes and sometimes it's small changes, but you just have no clue as to uh, what is going to uh, come about because of those changes, again, big or small. And in your case, it was actually a very big change. Big change. Um, and I, I sort of equate it to sliding tiles, okay? <laughs> And you're trying to slide those tiles into the right place and so forth in order to make the picture come alive. You know, uh, you know, it's because it's usually usually a puzzle, whether it's numbers or letters or actual an actual picture that you're trying to get the tiles in the right positions to uh, to to manifest that uh, that image in the right way. And it sounds to me like you've got pretty much everything right where it needs to be. And you are still going strong as far as uh, providing people with an opportunity to heal themselves and heal themselves whole, which is the title of her book, Heal Ourselves Whole. Uh, Emily uh, Francis is my guest here on the program all the way from Malta. By the way, I'm also very impressed with your Internet service because not a <laughs> single glitch. I mean, I could have sworn you were right next door in, in the room next door to me here. Uh, such a great signal. And uh, it's just it's. It is gratifying to see, uh, especially when it comes to the guests, sometimes when I interview guests and we talk about these kinds of things, whether it be uh, they're talking about money and wealth and trying to uh, increase pos prosperity in, their, in our lives through a book or a CD or a seminar, whatever that they hold, or healing or whatever it may be. And I ask them, I says, so have you made it? Are you whole? Emily, are you whole? I do feel like the process of always building and moving forward has a base now that feels really plentiful. Hmm. What about your husband uh, in terms of not just the move, but in terms of his, his, his wellness? You know, in the United States, our, our Declaration of Independence talks about how we have these inalienable rights of life, 
It's kind of a simple one to define. Liberty and happiness. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. The pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. Isn't that interesting? We get those first two, but we have to pursue the third. I have Mm -hmm. to wonder if that was intentional, basically telling us you can't have it, but you can certainly. It's like a carrot on the end of a stick that you're chasing after, but do you ever get it? Have you achieved what you think is happiness? And what about your husband in yes. that regard in all of this? So my husband is the reason we're here. He, uh, his company is with a grant uh, with the prime minister in their, their main company. And um, our boss and his wife moved with us. And so did several, 30 other people from the company have now relocated to Malta. Wow. And uh, so our Sunday fun days are great at our pool. <laughs> um, <laughs> my husband is happier. I feel like he's healthier. Um, people talk about moving to Malta and getting years added to your life because it's slower living. Yeah. It's calmer living. I feel like my husband and I both are incredibly grateful every day to get to have this life. He still misses friends and family and things in America more than I do. And I don't mean that like I don't love my friends, but I've been on social media longer. I haven't, I haven't, I'm spending more time with friends here locally than I have in years in America because in America I was raising children and I was recovering a child out of her autism spectrum diagnosis. So I didn't have time to be partying and chilling out with friends. I was busy. <laughs> I was busy on a very deep healing path. And when we came out of it, we moved, which was not the best choice to do at the time. Um, and so I had already separated myself from a lot of my social world back then. And so had he, cause he works all the time. But here we're re-engaged and we have all of these friends and we have friends with children the same age but we also have our work friends and we're much more social like he did he mentioned that the other day like my gosh we get out of the house so much more than we used to we were like hermits back in georgia and here every weekend we're like okay do you want to go to valletta today or do you want to get on the bus or where do you want to go so saturdays are our family day where we go explore something new Mm -hmm. and then sundays are the sunday fun day at the pool with our boss and wife and anybody else who we deem want to come and it's always a really fun barbecue day and whatever but it's it's spectacular because our relationship has strengthened his work it's more fun here because people here they're just they're more invested in the quality of life. That's what it feels like. You know, it's interesting that you put it that way. Obviously, uh, having lived in the States as long as you did and with your family, uh, it's not the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of money. It's the pursuit of wealth. It's pursuit of prosperity and abundance. Uh, and uh, there's always been a part of me that has been wanted, uh, wanting to separate from that construct. I'm not saying capitalism is bad or free enterprise is bad, but it sure has got its, its uh, awful quirks that make it uh, uh, inequitable for all. Uh, that for some reason, all can't have all of that. Uh, and yet it's like, well, wait a minute, if, if, if I was living back in the uh, 17 or 1800s, uh, yeah, there was money then. But most people, especially in the rural areas of the United States in particular, they didn't deal in money. They bartered. Hey, I've got chickens and I've got a dozen eggs here. Could I get a gallon of milk? You know, or uh, I tell you what, you know, I need some help building my barn uh, and I see that your roof is in uh, need of repair. I'll help you with your roof if you'll help me with my barn. I mean, there was this give and take. There was an exchange and there is that universal law 
of exchange that mm-hmm. you cannot escape. It is immutable in the sense that the universe does not operate on uh, just givers or yeah. just receivers. Or just you, takers, right. You can't have one without the other. They are part of the equation. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, you've I know you've heard this many times uh, when you've given somebody something. Oh, you shouldn't have. I said that to my dad once when they sent me uh, some 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 funds. I guess it was for a birthday or something. And I said, oh, mom, dad, you shouldn't have. Well, of course we should have. It's our money. We can do with it what we want. And I thought, well, thank you. I, I kind of yeah, backed off of yeah. that. But, it's true. you know, you know, it's different. It's very different here um, for one. The income brackets are much lower, but the quality of life is much higher. Yeah. And two, um, so pharmaceutical commercials are illegal. In Thank you. Good. So Good. You have none of the pharmaceutical commercials. And, you know, people keep saying socialized medicine is bad, but I have to tell you now that I'm living in it. Oh, my God. It is so amazing to walk into a doctor's office, pay 10 euros in cash and you're done. And you're not waiting for the $500 bill later with your insurance. Yeah. Or if you go to a specialist, it's 60 euros. And you're done. Yeah. And the, because they're not making kickbacks in all this pharmaceutical stuff, the way that they approach their prescriptions, we have not. It, it's just so different. Well, and Malta is fifth in the world in healthcare, and the United States is 40th. So they're on to something over here. Yeah. Well, one of the problems that I have noticed uh, with America is that uh, uh, does not like to consider the ideas of people who are not here, who are uh, from foreign countries. Oh, no, no, we'll figure it out. We, we don't need your ideas. Yeah. We are Americans and we can we can do this, you know, and we'll figure it out. It's like, really? You mean to tell me that you can't learn from other people somewhere else on the planet? I mean, honestly, it's been humbling being the foreigner, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's been really nice here, but it is a humbling experience. And it's a unique, beautiful experience to be the one that's the outsider that has the different accent that makes people stop and go, where did you come from? Uh, It's it's unique. It's a wonderful, vulnerable uh, part of my life now to see it, because I realize I look back at kids that I went to preschool, that my kids went to preschool with, and, and they had a lot of parents from like India, and I was always sweet to them, invited them to the parties, but now that I'm outside and in a different country, mm-hmm. I would have been, I would have been much, much more welcoming. I would have shown up at their house and driven them to the store. Mm. I would have done some things that people here have done for me. Like uh, our boss rented us a car before we got a car, and I was scared to death to drive here because it's a whole different it's like a miniature India. It is crazy. Mm. And uh, my my friend here, local, showed up at my house and said, come on, dear, I'm taking you driving today. Let's get in your car. You know, and it was like, <laughs> what? She was like, come on, come on, dear. Like, everybody here is just like, it's really, it's incredible. And even my husband had to travel. And I had three text messages from my landlord, from her best friend that's become one of my best friends, and my other dear friend saying, hey, how are you? Don't forget, if you need anything, I'm going to keep my phone on. I'm just a stone's thrown away. Any, you know, Anything you need, call me. doesn't matter what time, day or night. If you need help with the kids, let me know. I'll be there. You know, The people here, man, they show up. And you know, part of it is this is multi-generational living. So you have these houses with the grandparents and the grandkids and the, and the way that people look at family they bring you in. They mm. bring you in and make you family and they include you in their life. And it is 
it's I just I can't wait till I come out with the memoir that I've been working on for the last year. And I I hope that it does get picked up and that eventually it's on Netflix or some movie because it is it is amazing. And I'm living such a sacred time in history to be able to move in a worldwide lockdown start over completely, create an entire new life, bring my children and animals and husband. It, it's a beautiful situation, but it's very rare. Yeah, that's and a beautiful. I know that. Yeah, it's a beautiful science fiction story, I must tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it does not happen. Yes, it does, it folks. It does not happen, but not very often. And to think, because I kept begging my husband to move, and he kept saying, I can't. I cannot. We are in this company. He was in a startup company. Yeah. He's high tech. He's the tech. He's the leader of the tech. And he finally looked at me and he goes, Emily, you have to stop asking. You have to stop making me feel guilty. I have to be wherever Gareth is. And Gareth is the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have to be where, wherever he is. That's where I'm going to be. Well, guess what? Gareth was over in Europe. They got sidetracked. His wife is Italian. They came to Malta. She goes, you know what? I could live here. He turned around, called Scott. Scott looked at me and goes, hey, what do you think of Malta? We were out in three months. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how things come together like that? When we moved to Santa Barbara, um, I, uh, I found out in 2005 the radio station that I was currently working for was being bought up by a Christian consortium. Now, this was, this was years after I had left the Christian station, but the Christian station oh. was bought by the same company that owned the news talk station that I was working for at the time. Uh, and, of course, uh, we went through some transformations and everything. But anyway, uh, the, 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 the Christian Consortium was asked by the local paper, the Arizona Republic of Phoenix Gazette, so uh, Air America Phoenix, which was the station I was working for, uh, they're very successful. Are you planning on uh, changing the format? As soon as they said, oh, no, 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 they're very successful, they're profitable, we're not going to change the format, I knew they were lying. Because I knew after 15 years with the Christian station, they were because you would often hear this passage being quoted, do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. Well, of course, Air America Phoenix and all of its participants were, by their estimation and their opinions, non-believers. So we were done. So uh, come January, we were told that our last day was going to be February 28th. Uh, because uh, they weren't keeping anybody and they were going to be changing the format and all of this kind of stuff. My wife at that time was working for Scottsdale Memorial Hospital, working in a very hostile work environment, no support from her staff, almost no support from her supervisors. And so on March 1st, the day I'm cleaning out my desk at the radio station, she calls me and says, I just quit. Wow. And in my head, I'm screaming, do you know that I'm unemployed too? <laughs> Uh, but I said, okay. And so that evening, we're sitting there watching TV, and I said, uh, she says, she comes up to me, she says, I feel like we're on the edge of a precipice. I'm scared. I don't know what we're going to do. Now, it was kind of that same feeling uh, when we were in Ireland, when I was sitting on the edge oh, of that cliff. cliff. Yep. I had no fear. And I says, well, of everything that I've ever read and the interviews I've done and the workshops and seminars I've been through, there's one phrase that they've always said. When you come to the edge of a precipice or a cliff, you do two things. You jump. And you trust. So um, we decided we would take a week and we would travel. And we said, well, do we want to go to Ireland? Because that's where we would really love to live. And we had this small nest egg. And I said, well, the problem is, is that if we go to Ireland, we're going to burn up our nest egg a lot faster. Uh, what about Santa Barbara, which is her hometown? So we decided a week in Santa Barbara. So we did some R and R and R, relax, recreate, and reconnaissance. Uh, when we got back, we put the house up for sale. 
and we were on the road May 8th. May 8th, we were on the road. The funds had been put into her account, and away we go with two vehicles. I've got the van with two dogs and a bunch of our stuff. She's got the Subaru with the four cats in a crate and a U-Haul trailer behind her. And our caravan took 12 hours to get from Phoenix to Santa Barbara. And it didn't feel like it. It did not feel like 12 hours. And uh, it was also the first time that I had ever driven in L.A. traffic. Woo. Okay. I was born in L.A. I was yeah. born in Los Angeles. So I'm going, we're going through L.A. and I'm going, wow, I'm actually driving in L.A. And in the traffic, this is, it was incredible because it was 10 years after my lens implant. So anyway, things just came together for us, just like it did for you. Yeah. And uh, was, I would say probably three months, March, April, May, you know, two and a half. And so I'm sitting here going, yeah, I want to say the same thing to my wife. Please, you know, stop asking me uh, to move, making me feel guilty. We will. But we have to wait for the universe to prepare a way. I'm still doing all of the things I can think of to do to sort of precipitate that. Kind of along the lines of when I kept hearing the story at the Christian station about the end of the world, Armageddon and, and all of this, the Antichrist and so forth. I was getting really bored with that story. So I asked one of the ministers, I says, is there something I can do to kind of move things along? Because this move story is really boring me. <laughs> I'm really bored by this story. And I'd really like for things to kind of move forward a little faster. Uh, so I'm just doing what I can do, just like, you know, you and the universe just makes a way. It does. And, you know, even today, because we thought we were moving to Grand Cayman, we thought we were doing a lot of different things over the years, and it never came through. And this one came through seamlessly. But today, even at the strawberry farm, they start preparing the soil months before they plant. Yeah. And that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. We just, we need to plant, we need to prepare the soil for our plant, for our grow and where we want to be. And even today, this, the same farmer, he said that the, the secret to farming is let it ripe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all it is. Let it ripe. Yeah. And I thought I am so going to start using that in my life, you know, plant, you know, prepare the soil and let it ripe. If those are the secrets for gardening, they're not just for the garden, you well, know, so nature. It's been such a pleasure being on here with you. I've loved this. I really have. Yours is one of the longest interviews that we have done. And <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for the for you giving us so much time. I'm sure that as our conversation is ongoing, you're probably in the evening hours uh, as yeah. the sun is going down and it must be a, a great view uh, of the sun <laughs> setting in the west there. Uh, we'll, we'll get there in about, uh, I don't know, a few hours. Uh, well, keep but me posted, though. Keep me posted on you. Stay in touch, if you will. I will. And, and if you do go to, you know, if you end up in Ireland, I really want to know that you that you made it there. I know that we will. I've I've got one woman. Her name is. She's been on this program many times. Her name is Sky Taylor. She is also very much involved in beekeeping, uh, and then and the natural world. And uh, she has told me in no uncertain terms, if you are able to make it to Ireland, you have a place to stay. In this small little village that she lives in, uh, in Ireland. So, yeah, we, it's not like uh, we are uh, short of uh, places where we can certainly stay yeah. or visit. Uh, but it's a, it's a whole other thing. And I also it's a heard... a timing thing. Yeah, it is Divine a timing, timing thing. timing is very yeah. important. I did hear the immigration laws have changed. It used to be I had to have a grandparent who came from Ireland. And apparently oh. that has been changed to apparently a parent. Um, or grandparent, and so my... Oh, no, I take that back. It was a parent, not a parent. Now it's a grandparent. And she, my wife, does have a grandparent who came from Ireland, but my 
my in is that my family on my mother's side is, uh, is from Italy. And Italy has the deal where you can have dual citizenship and you can get uh, your Italian citizenship. And since they're a member of the EU, as is the Republic of Ireland, voila. So, <laughs> You know what? My brother is actually meeting with an Italian lawyer about the same thing because our family comes from Italy and they want to have dual citizenship. Yeah. So I think it's like a two year process. They're working on it already. And for us in Malta, we'll have EU citizenship after five years. So we're almost one year in now. Um, well, again, con- I, I get it. Yeah. Congratulations. And Thank congratulations you. on your latest work, Healing Ourselves Whole, which is an interactive guide to release pain and trauma and utilize the wisdom of the body. And Emily A. Francis, thank you so much for joining us. And I encourage people to go me. to your website, healingourselveswhole.com. will be linked to your website as well. Thank you. And the audio book comes out on the 22nd of this month. Did you read the it? The audio book. Did you read Did it? I read it. I wish. No. Oh. I I actually auditioned for it. Oh, you did. Felt so weird to audition for my own book. <laughs> and um, my agent said that a lot of people were getting turned down because of COVID. And I'm so far away. Uh, so they so they were gonna. From what I understand, when you get the the audio and it's not you, they choose two that you choose from. Mm-hmm. But I preemptively went through every narrator in the entire company. And I found one that I just loved Mm -hmm. and I emailed them ahead of them emailing me and asked if she by any chance would be willing because she worked for the higher up publisher and not the one that I was doing. But I asked anyway, I called my agent and he said, you better get off the phone and email them right now and ask. So I begged them for her and she said yes. So and then I found out later she was actually Goodreads narrator of the year last year. Her name is Dina Nielsen. And I feel like. It's funny when I when I auditioned for it, it was supposed to be like 10 minutes of content and it took me more than two hours to really turn in a flawless quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized I don't actually want to do it. I thought I always wanted to do it, but I feel like it was just a huge weight off my shoulders and I can't all I wanted to do was be able to control the narrative and I don't need to do that. So I yeah. just needed to step back and trust. And her voice is so silky and I and she has no accent. There's no Northern, Southern, Western. It's just a perfect American accent. Yeah. And I cannot wait to hear what she's done with the book. Oh, me and too. And I sent her an email. You know, I've sent her, I actually sent it through my publisher of how honored I am that she would take this project. And I, I really sincerely am not sad at all that it's not me. And and honestly, on my website now, if you go to the audio, mm-hmm. is all the audio meditations, and that's my voice mm-hmm. with a fantastic producer. So if people are reading the book and they want to go get the audio meditations, they'll hear me. But if somebody wants to get the entire book in audio, it'll be Stina Nielsen. Oh, boy. I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm sure it'll be available on Amazon Audible, which I'm a member of, and I will get my Good. copy. Uh, I also produce audiobooks, and when I was growing up with my first wife, who was totally blind, I used to record uh, books for her, but also for us. Uh, one of my favorites was, of course, uh, James Redfield's Celestine Prophecy. I had him on my show. I He's had great. him on this program, too. Yes. He's great. He really is fantastic. I really enjoyed talking with him. I, I had always wanted to. 
Uh, but I've also read other books uh, uh, that, uh, that we put on tape for my wife. And I was listening to Audible books before they were ever Audible. As a legally blind kid growing up, I was listening to talking books for the blind and wow. recordings for the blind. And uh, this was long before uh, it was made available to the public in, in the big way as it is now. Um, but I've I've got my own studio, and over the years I've recorded. As a matter of fact, the one book that uh, led me to my first wife was a book that I actually got to interview the author as well. Uh, and the book was entitled The Greatest Miracle in the World. The author was Og Mandino, who has since passed. But uh, what a thrill it was to to talk with him and interview him about his uh, his work and and uh, and the things that inspired him and so forth. And um, and of course, I've read others, uh, other other books as well. I put those on tape, and and um, you know, it's it's just a, it's a marvelous way to get your work out there, Emily. It is. It that is. I'm really excited. People can sit. They can. I, I mean, I my metaphysical primer is autobiography of a yogi. I have listened to that hundreds of times since I was 17, and I used wow. to listen to it on these discs, uh, uh, records. But the records played at one and seven eighths revolutions per minute. Very, very slow. Okay. Uh, Then, of course, they were transferred to cassette and so forth. And I have that book on my on my phone from the original recording that I listened to as a kid growing up, even though I have the Ben Kingsley version and a couple of other versions. And um, I was so gratified after the passing of Steve Jobs to find out that he had one and yes. only one book on his phone, and it was that book. He gave it to every person that attended his funeral. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Wow. So he, he gave everybody a silver box, and in that silver box was Autobiography of a Yoga. Oh, of, my, of a yogi. my goodness. So, yes, that, that is, uh, yeah. I had somebody on my show that was at the funeral mm. and received it. Oh, and uh, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but um, it, it was uh, really powerful yeah. that he l- left that for everyone. And the stories so. that are in that book, I, I, I bring to mind every once in a while and will refer to on this program. Uh, my favorite, of course, is the Tiger Swami uh, fighting the uh, Tiger Raja Begum, uh, Prince Princess. Uh, and uh, for a number of years with my second wife, the, I actually went by the name Raja. And that's how I had people refer to me. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, you said something very important, and I know we need to wrap things up here. You said something very interesting that I think we need to touch on real quickly here. Sure. And that is the issue of feeling worthy. That has got to be a huge part of our, we'll call, I'll call it our dis-ease, be it physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. My naturopath said that every person, literally every person he works with, it comes down to giving yourself permission to heal. It's the link. It's the link mm-hmm. that's been missing. You have to be able to give yourself permission. You have to know that it's okay. It's okay that you deserve to be healthy and whole. Yeah. Whatever that means to you, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. Whatever success means, whatever healthy, whatever whole means, that's your own definition. That's why I ask you in the book to sit with it mm-hmm. and, and decide for yourself. Who are you? What do you want? And what are you willing to do to get it? Because if you keep answering that, you're going to figure yourself out very, very clearly. And, and giving yourself permission to heal is the link. And that is the whole feeling worthy. Can I really be happy? And I do. I think it's a brave, bold move. 
letting yeah. yourself feel happiness. And with your Catholic background, you're going to understand this. One of the things that I, I studied years ago, again at this other station, uh, I kept hearing this passage about, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I kept wondering, what the heck does that mean? And I did some study, especially for into the Old Testament as well, let alone the defining of the word perfect in the New. And um, what I came to was this. You know, God is neither good nor evil, right nor wrong, left or right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. God just is. And even in the Old Testament, like in the Psalms, it says, I am th that I am. Yeah. Present tense. So what does it mean if it has nothing to do with being good or bad or right or wrong or saved or unsaved or what have you? What does that perfect mean? And I finally came to the conclusion for myself. I don't put yeah. this on anybody else. It just means to be. Just to be. And then the other part of that has to do with the sacrifice. And if you think about it, if you had to sacrifice something for your children, you already deem them as worthy, as precious, as priceless, right? Right. So you make the sacrifice in order to make them even more precious, right? So that means that accepting the, the philosophy, the Christian philosophy regarding the sacrifice— we had to have been of inestimable value before the sacrifice in order for there to even be one to be made. So that kind of tells me I am definitely worthy. I, I, now, whether I believe that all the time or not is another thing. But right. that's just, you know, from that perspective, that just tells me that we're, we all are. We all are absolutely precious we're absolutely worthy we're absolutely priceless i totally agree i think every person is is a very important part of this planet and the world needs you in it emily a francis i want to thank you so much for joining us on the program and uh, bringing us uh, bringing the light to healing ourselves whole again it's an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body go to healingourselveswhole.com and uh, emily a francis again i thank you so much for uh, for thank giving you, us so you, much thank time thank you thank you I do have three final questions for you that I ask all of my okay. guests. Uh, before I do, let me just tell you, the listener and the viewer, that uh, you can uh, listen to these programs Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. on our special broadcast, on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific time here on this fine station. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations you are reposting our interviews for too. Thank you, thank you for doing that. You can watch these interviews on the Tell Me Your Story channel on YouTube. I hope that you'll do that and subscribe. I'm up to a whopping 26 subscribers, but a lot of other people are, yeah, I know, a lot of other people are uh, are watching even though they're not subscribing, and that's okay. Uh, subscribe yeah. if you want, but they're there, and you can come back many times. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, uh, to uh, basically um, spend that time listening to that still small voice. All right, please do. And uh, listen and find that quiet, peaceful, calm place. Whether it's in Malta, Ireland, or wherever you live, it's there because it's there within you. And finally, if you'd like to support the work we're doing, we would greatly appreciate any amount that you could uh, offer up via the PayPal account that we have for your security as well as ours. And with that, the three final questions that I'm going to ask my guest, who is the author of Healing Ourselves Whole and HealingOurselvesWhole.com is the website. The first is, who is Emily A. Francis? Wow. 
I am a person that has worked really hard to come fully into my life. I am a very happy woman and a loving wife and a, an incredibly proud and loving mother. I'm, uh, I'm somebody who's always working towards the next wonderful thing. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Well, my work has changed, shif shifted massively. So to be honest, I really want a coffee table book with Oh My Malta. Since we're uh, showcasing all these local farmers, I want to turn it into a book. And then I want to write the memoir about my, about my move and my story. So that's totally jumping ship because I have five books in the self-help and healing field. But I feel like I have given everything I've learned over the years. I've, I've put it in the pages and I'm ready to make a shift. I, and I, I'm ready to write my story and mm. hope that people want to hear it. I guarantee you they will. And when it comes out, we'll have you back on the program. But we'll have you Great. back on before then as well uh, to talk more about the work that you're doing. Final question. What is your life's purpose? You know, I had such different things before I became a mother. And I do feel like my life's purpose mostly is to raise children that know that they are loved and that are happy, safe, and healthy, that, that pursue their passion and know that they can get off on any given path. They just need to go for it. Uh, and, and for me, the purpose in life is that I don't like to go to sleep at night knowing that I didn't make a difference that day. So I do everything in small places uh, and, and try to really be kind and loving and accepting and bringing people in, and I need to know that I that I did something that made a difference. But it just needs to be something that I know. That's my purpose, really, is is just to to be the love. Hmm. Well, Emily, again, thank you, Emily A. Francis, for joining us here on the program. And again, I thank you for giving us so much time uh, here on thank the program. So this much. has been uh, been fantastic, and we are going to have you back, and we're going to stay in touch. Uh, yes. because uh, what you have to offer to the folks uh, is is quite incredible. Thank you so much. I can't wait to be back on, and please stay in touch with me. I want to hear all about you, too. You bet. You bet. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.